0: Father, in the name of Jesus, I am so grateful to you, asking you for strength in this class. Uh, And and over and above that, just asking that, God, you reveal yourself. You just reveal who you are to us. And I pray that um, you give us understanding in our minds of the things that you want us to understand and grab a hold of. um, That we can know who you are and we can know the things that are contained in your word giving us understanding of how we are to fellowship with you, how we are to commune with you. And so I pray that you help us as we go along through this class. Uh, I pray that you help everything, help pace, help my mind, as I am not as fully rested as I would choose. But I know, God, your strength is more than able and will suffice to carry us through. And so I honor you and I praise you for all that you're doing and all that you continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we have been going through the tabernacle together with Pastor Ken, and I think he has done a a very excellent job of introducing us to uh, the outer court, and he introduced us to the gate, which is over here, um, the brazen altar, and the laver. So that's what we have covered so far. And if you remember, um, the gate is also known as the way right the gate is also known as the way so that's the gate so when Jesus says I am the way the truth and the life he is also referencing this portion of the tabernacle that he is the way here and then we'll talk a little bit about that but this here is also another gate or another entrance and it's known it was also known as the truth and it is girded by these five poles which will talk a little bit more about. Um, so uh, what we've learned so far is that men sinned against God and sin separates men from God. And God still has a desire to fellowship with man and have communion with him. So God was like, I know sin has separated you from me, but I need to create a path of redemption. And I need to show you how to get back to a place in which you can be in my presence, and I can be able to commune with you. So, God created a roadmap to show us the path, but this was just a foreshadow of Jesus coming on this earth. And if you if you read um, in that portion of Exodus, I think it's twenty five all the way to about forty. Uh, there's a whole lot of interesting. Uh, uh, material in there that helps us to have a deeper appreciation of the gospel, have a dip- deeper appreciation of what Jesus did and one of the things that I find fascinating was on the day of atonement, this is the day when the priest would come in and go all the way to the Holy of Holies, there was also a lamp, a lamb that they would um, um, there was a lamb that they would pray over And they would release this lamb. And the lamb would just go away. A perfect spotless lamb. No, it was not perfect spotless. But the lamb would, would then go away. And you know the scripture that says, As far as the east is from the west, so too he has set our sins. That was a representation of that. So the lamb is going away from the people that are all around the tabernacle to represent that. That God has set our sins as far as the east is from the west. And I thought that was pretty cool. So if you read um, in that portion of scripture that I gave you, you'll be able to see it. So here the roadmap: map. God says, create for me a place that I would dwell. Exodus, uh, uh, Exodus chapter 25. And he says, create a place for me in which I will dwell. And then so then that's when this tabernacle is created. And uh, he called it a tabernacle or tent or a sanctuary, a place for him to dwell. And he gave specific instructions on how this was to be done. Because again, it was a shadow of Jesus and the roadmap on the path to redemption. Uh, we talked about the outer court. And that's outside this hall, um, uh, in inside this, but not in there. So this whole place here is called the courtyard and and pastor Kent introduced introduce that as the body then he talked about um the inner court and he talked about the holy of holies so something that i want to make sure we understand is that this here being the outer court this here whole interior place is the inner court and it's divided into two sections section number one is called the holy place and then section number two is called the most holy place okay so Past Ken said the inner s- the inner court, being the s- the soul, and then the most holy place being the spirit. But more apt is to say the mo the holy place is your soul, and then the most holy place is your spirit. Does that make sense? So I don't want you to have that confusion because this whole thing, whole tent here inside, that is known as the inner court. So we're going to be venturing into the inner court here uh, in 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 a minute. So. As you come through the the tabernacle, you come through the way. and how do we come through through the way? What does Scripture teach us? Enter his gate with and his courts with praise. Okay, so that's how you come in. so you have, you have thanksgiving in your heart and you have praise as you come into um, the tabernacle. And then the first thing that you're faced with is the um the altar and then what happens at the altar okay sacrifice and what are you sacrificing at the altar yeah because i'm tired we're going to teach this together okay (laughs) what are you sacrificing at the altar of what Animals okay, so you're sacrificing animals and these animals that you're sacrificing the whole reason you're doing so What is the image or the picture that we that we're creating as we're doing this sacrifice that the wages of sin is? Death and where is the life of an animal? It is in the the blood okay? So blood has to be spilled in order for there to be atonement for the sin. And so each family would bring uh, a, a goat or a lamb and they would come and it would be placed over here and it, its blood would spill and the blood would be captured into these basins and that is what was offered as atonement uh, for the sins of the family. So they saw the whole process happening here. And remember what uh Pasquen taught us that this is made of brass and it was made of of wood, brass being an impure metal. Talking about the imperfection of men, and remember, wood also talks about humanity because it is a decaying material. It it doesn't last forever; it decays, and so that is the reason why it was made uh, of, of 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 wood. And so the goal. Well, I guess you don't have to see my notes there. The goal, the goal of. Um, The goal of this whole journey into the tabernacle, I want you to think of this in your mind, it is to actually get to the most holy place. Because in the most holy place, and that will be the last class, is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And the Ark of the Covenant has two angels that are facing, or cherubim, that are facing each other. And if you read in in Romans, uh, sorry, uh, Numbers, Um, If you read in Numbers chapter 7, verse 89, it says, Now when Moses went into the tabernacle of meeting to speak with him, he heard the voice of one speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim. Cherubim, thus he spoke to him. So the voice of God was heard from between the cherubims that was on the ark of the covenant. That's where the priest was able to hear the voice of God Uh, and be able to communicate with the people what the word of the Lord is. So the goal that you and I have, and and we will go through the prayer that happens as you go through the tabernacle, is to get to that place where you have true and real intimacy um, with the Lord. And so we talked about it. You enter the gate with thanksgiving and the courts with praise. And so you enter it with exaltation. Even when you look at the template of how we ought to pray, when Jesus was teaching his disciples, he taught them to say, What? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, which is praise, which is exaltation. And that's how you're starting your journey to getting into the presence of God. And then the first piece of furniture that you encounter that we talked about is the brazen altar. And also, we talked about sacrifices. Now, here is where flesh dies. So as the animal is, is being sacrificed, blood is spilt, but obviously the animal dies. So it's not like they're just cutting a little piece of the animal and squeezing blood out of it and saying, okay, let's patch it up and let it move. The animal had to die. And so I want you to understand this as it even pertains to prayer. Most people enter through the gate and they stop at the brazen altar. What does that look like? You know when you're saying, you know, Father in the name of Jesus, and that, you come with your flesh first. And you have to go past your flesh, but most people tire because the place of sacrifice, that altar, is not a fun place. It's not an easy place. Imagine standing there with your kids and you're watching an animal being sacrificed. It's not an easy place. It's not a simple place. And even when you're beginning to pray, you start off with your flesh. Okay, I need you to understand. You, you start off with your flesh. You bring your body, yourself, with your flesh, which is why Paul says, "I urge you, therefore, in view of God's mercies, that you would offer your bodies as a living sacrifice." So the flesh, ha- the flesh has to die. If if flesh goes all the way through, um, to to. in the tabernacle, if flesh makes it all the way through into that holy of holies, then you're not going to survive in the presence of God, which is why they would have to tie a rope around the priest. And he had uh, uh, the hem of his garment would have a bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate, so that when he's walking, he's making a sound. So you're hearing the sound. The moment the sound stops, that means he's dead. And then they yank him out with the rope. OK, so that's how that's how that works. So you have to take care of the flesh here. So even when you're praying, if you really want to get to a place where you hear this voice of God, you want to get real intimate with the voice of with, with God, you have to get past your flesh. So you're praying and it seems your prayers are just stopping by the ceiling like nothing is happening. And it almost thinks like this is dumb or this is not working out because, again, your flesh is in opposition to the things of God no flesh can glory in his presence you have to push through you have to push through in 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 prayer so this is exactly what's happening here is we're pushing through by allowing the atonement um, of sin to to take place so as you pray I want you to remember that as you pray and you're praying and you're thinking oh my goodness this is not. I'm not feeling it. Is what would probably say. Oh, it doesn't feel like I'm connecting. Just remember, it's because the flesh has to die. Okay. So without the shedding of blood, Hebrews nine and twenty-two, there is no forgiveness of sin. So in order to pay the sin bill, blood has to be uh, blood has to be spilled. Okay. So uh, yes. Okay, right, and you will. Uh, I, the, the, this is one of those things that's very difficult to to teach step by step to know, okay, I was told this and so now I'm there, but you gotta put push past, you, past your flesh. Now, if you notice in most, uh, in most cases when you're doing a, preso- a praise and worship set, the first set is usually a m- bit more up-tempo because of the fact that you are getting in with praise. Again, you're getting in with your flesh. So what you got to do is you got to push through. And you got to keep praying. Even if you're having to say Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all over again. And you keep praying. There will come a moment where you can sense a difference in, in where you have arrived in, in prayer. You can literally sense the difference. Now, we live in a society in which we're always on the go. And so because we're always on the go and not giving time to it. Most of us never push through that because we got to go do things is what we have in our minds. Um, So speaking from a Zimbabwean perspective and maybe blessing, I don't know, with you an African perspective, we had what we called all-night prayers. So you would get there at 6 in the evening and you're not leaving until 6 in the morning. So it gave you an opportunity to really keep praying. You keep praying and then all of a sudden you sense that there's a breakthrough and there's a whole lot more intimacy after that moment. Um, and, and, and it happens a lot when you're praying and you feel like, you know what, I'm just, I'm just hitting the ceil- ceiling here. It doesn't feel like there's any real connection. Um, but the only thing I can give you in terms of how to go past that is to keep pushing through, to keep praying, to keep praying, to keep praying. So they'll say, uh, how, how did the saying go? Pray, if you don't feel like praying, pray and then keep praying until you feel like praying. And so that is what we were taught to push through, and you can literally sense the difference when you have arrived, and then um, when you've gone past that, uh, most cases, the sign that shows you that you've gone past that is you move away from guilt and shame. Now, if you notice when you're praying, most times you're like, oh God, help me. I'm tired, or please, or this. There's a sense of begging that's happening because the flesh has no faith. The flesh assumes its it's weakness. And then when you go past that, you go past it, and you don't feel a sense of shame and a sense of guilt, more a sense of acceptance when you've gone past that um, that particular moment. I hope that helps. Okay? Okay, so... When you go past the first artifact we talked about, which was the, um, the, the place of sacrifice, and, and, and what I'm telling you, the reason this changed my life is it ch- what it changed, which is my hope for this class, is your prayer life, is your, is your prayer life and how you approach the presence of God. Because there is a, a pattern, a way to approach the presence of God. And I think sometimes because of the fact that you know we have the freedom that God has afforded us, we don't always do it in the way we ought to. Because remember, the, what, the, what does the Bible say? We know not how we ought to pray, but the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf with moanings and groanings that cannot be uttered. So essentially, I don't know how to pray. And then Paul says further on in Corinthians he says so what shall I do I will pray with my mind which is my flesh I'll play with my mind and I will pray with my spirit also so there's a place in which I pray with my mind and then I push through to where I can begin to pray with my spirit okay and that's what he's saying he's talking about I'm gonna pray with my I'm not gonna have an excuse to not pray because I don't feel it or I don't have a connection because I've come to the to the brazen altar so I'm gonna pray with my mind And then i'm going to push through to be able to pray with my spirit okay so once you've pushed through um, the um, the 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 sacrifice the altar of sacrifice you then come to the laver and the laver uh again it's a reflection so it does two things it does it does a washing uh, to cleanse and it also does a reflection to see so the washing is the word, we're washed over the word. So the Bible says that the word cleanses us. When we read the word, we are cleansed. Um, If you look at, who's got a Bible ready? John chapter 13, verse 10. I hope I am where I need to be with that. John chapter 13, verse 10. Does anyone have it ready? Okay, can you read it for me? Okay. So, again, this picture of the brazen altar, when you come to labor, um, in Jewish traditional culture, the two things that were always dirty were your hands and your feet, right? so. You always have to wash your hands and you always have to wash your feet. But when you come to the, to the brazen altar, um, to the laver, he says, you only need to wash your what? Your feet. He says, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, which as you're clean, okay? So what do we say about the feet, right? The feet are the feet of those who bring the good news, which still trods on the earth. Hands represent work. So you no longer have to wash your hand in Jesus because you no longer have to work. Does that make sense? You don't work to righteousness or to grace. You work from righteousness or from grace, which means he empowers you to do the thing that you are meant to do. And it was reflection because James tells us that when we come to the word, it's like looking into a mirror, right? And we're able to see who we are. We're able to see our nature and he says, if you look and you see that you are dirty and, and that something's wrong with you and then you turn back and you do nothing about it, you're saying that we need to change that attitude and that heart. So in the same manner as the priest comes to the labor, if he is unclean, then at that same time, he needs to then wash so that the word cleanses him. Does that make sense? But in order for that to happen, what have we done at the, at the altar before? We have killed the flesh. So when I read the Bible and I read it from the perspective of a, of a philosopher or, uh, or, 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 or a thinker or, or any of those notions, I'm not going to be able to get revelation because I'm reading it in the flesh. So the flesh has to die. Like have you ever tried, in, tried reading your Bible when you're not there? It doesn't make sense. Okay? Here's my story. So I grew up in the Catholic Church, and the Bible was always available to me. I knew Bible stories. Great, awesome, but I didn't know the Bible. I didn't have a sense of what the Bible was actually saying or what it was actually teaching me, and so I never read it. I used the Bible more as as a token of a connection to God. So for instance, you know, God helped me figure something out, drop the Bible, pick up the pages, what does it say, look for something that makes sense, and go, ha, this is what the word of the Lord is saying to me. And I'll move on. Or I'll just pray and hold the Bible, because again, I'm thinking there's some power in this book by holding the Bible, and then I'll say, okay, I'm going to hold the Bible, and I'm going to pray and ask God for something, and then everything is going to work out. So that was my understanding. That's flesh trying to get into the Bible. I have not gone to the altar. I'm going straight to to the labor, but I'm not going to be able to see what I need to see, and neither am I going to be purified because my flesh hasn't died. Does that make sense? Okay, so then I become born again. That means I accepted Jesus Christ into my life. So when I accept Jesus Christ into my life, what have I done? I have been crucified with Christ, it is I that no longer lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. So the moment you come to the place of salvation and you receive Christ into your heart, you are crucifying your flesh. Because I and Christ, I've been crucified with him. So his crucifixion becomes as though it is my own. And that's the beauty of Jesus Christ. Because he goes through the suffering and, and the gory part, and I don't. But it is accounted or it is credited to me by faith. And so the moment that that happens, now when I open the Bible, you guys, I kid you not, it was like I was reading this thing for the very first time and I could not put it down. It was speaking life to me. It 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 was like the breath of God over me. It was revelation to me. And I was like, how was this, how did I not know this? How did I not see all this stuff? Well, my eyes were still closed, you see. I was still dead in transgression. And then I became alive, okay? Who remembers in the book of Acts, there's there's this guy called uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. What was he doing? What what was happening while he was reading? He was reading in the flesh, and what did he say? I, I don't understand these things. Why? Because he's reading in the flesh. Until then, Philip comes, sits down to him. Philip has already crucified his flesh, come to the laver, and he's able to then say, hey, let me break it down for you what's happening. Then his eyes open. He well, why can't I be baptized? The moment he's baptized, he Philip goes away. Why? Philip is no longer needed because the eunuch's flesh has died. So now he's able to see and he's able to be cleansed by the word. Does that make sense? So essentially, when we as christians try to read the word without having put the flesh aside, we fail to see the revelation that god has for us so the word of god is revealed does that make sense god reveals his word to us if you study it like you're studying archaeology or biology you're not going to see what god wants you to see it has to be by revelation and that's what the labor represented, ability to reflect and also the ability to be washed over by the word. So once that happened, once that has happened, then now you get into the most holy place, the, uh, the, the inner court. You're able to get into the inner court. Okay, so we am going to let this thing play here for a second so we can get to the image. So remember what I said about the the, the inner court, that it's the tent that's inside the tabernacle and it's divided into, into two rooms. Room number one is the holy place and room number two is the most holy place. But uh, what I wanted you to see uh, before we got in there was the entry into the into the inner court. Uh, I've gone too far. Okay, I'll let it play for a little bit. Okay, so that's the lever. No, this is not where the image I'm looking for is. This is what happens when you have live classes. Okay. Here we go. Alright. So this is the entry into the inner court. Okay? And you can see there's one, two, three, four, five um, pillars that are holding up where the entryway is. Okay, so those five pillars represent the apostle, the prophet, the, sorry, yeah, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. That is what upholds the word of God. That is where revelation comes from. Because now that you're able to see, you can then enter in. You cannot enter in until you've been washed over and you've been cleansed by the word. So now you're getting inside to a place of revelation. And those five pillars are the ones that hold up the entryway into the inner court. And the word that they described, this particular entryway is known as truth. So here, the way, and here, truth. Okay? And then when you get in, the first artifact that you saw was actually the seven golden lampstand. And it was the one that was illuminating light inside the inner court. There was no other light that was there except the seven golden lampstand. Okay? And so there was oil, and the oil is what made the candles burn. And there were seven of them. There was one that was longer and there were three on each side making it seven and it is known as the menorah. So let me get back to my notes. This is fun, I'm, I'm teaching and I'm my assistant also. So, if you read in Revelation, this is what I like to do with Bible students. I just give you the book, so that you read the whole thing and find exactly what I'm talking about. Because if I often find, if you just give somebody the chapter and the verse, they just read that and then they move on and they never do anything. So I just. Throw the whole book in there and say, read the whole book, and you'll see what I'm saying. You gotta find it. You gotta do some work. So in Revelation, the Spirit of God is known as the sevenfold spirit, and that's how that is coming from that lampstand. So the lampstand represents um represents light, which is the Holy Spirit. Again, John chapter one, verse nine, that was the true light, which gives light to every man who's coming into the world, um, speaking of Jesus Christ. Uh, the menorah which is the the seven golden lempstead was made of pure gold so it was not melted together but it was actually beaten out of one piece of pure gold so again it's typical of of, of Jesus right um, being beaten up that he took the beating for us in other words the Holy Spirit is not until Christ is crucified right when he sends the Holy Spirit it was after he had gone through the crucifixion the crucifixion so the the gold was not just melted it was beaten together to make it signifying that Um, so it also represents uh, the seven characters of the holy spirit the way he helps us in our walk with with jesus so we're going to go looking at john chapter 14 uh, verse 26 but the helper the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that i said to you peace i live with you my peace i give to you not as the world gives do, not a, not as the world gives do i give to you let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid so the holy spirit number 1 is a counselor so he gives you advice as you navigate through life number 2 the holy spirit is a helper He is an ever-present help in the time that we need aid. Number three, the Holy Spirit is our advocate. He will publicly support our cause and defend us when we are accused. And number four, the Holy Spirit is our comforter. He eases us in times of distress. And number five, the Holy Spirit is our intercessor. Again, we know not how we ought to pray, but the Holy Spirit makes intercessions on our behalf. The Holy Spirit is our strengthener, so he strengthens us. And then finally, the Holy Spirit is our standby. He will never give up, leave, or abandon you. Um, Even when you miss it, it's not like the Holy Spirit is done. Now what lifts is the anointing for the particular purpose when you're not in the place that you should be but whenever you call on the holy spirit because he is the one that actually governs here on earth Um, if you have a chance to listen to the class on the kingdom we talked about the holy spirit being the governor like a governor who is sent to manage the affairs of the kingdom that he is from so if you it's a Greatly brilliant class. I think you're in there, Matthew. Are you not? It's brilliant class, and I think you should just listen to it so you understand that in order for you to be able to really um, connect with God in the way that you should, you need the Holy Spirit. There is no way that you can do it without the Holy Spirit. So, the seven golden lampstand or the menorah also represented the continual presence of God. So the candle had to burn all the time. And uh, Aaron and his sons and the high priests would have to go in and make sure that the candle was continually burning. So you could make it, so the priest could make it as far as the most holy place on occasion, but you only went into the Holy of Holies once a year. But you could make it. So they would often go and they would be in that most holy place, but they would not go further than that. So they continually had to make sure that the candle was, was burning. And the oil uh, g- that was used, um, the oil that, 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 that was used, they were told to go and press oil from, I think it was from olives. And that was the oil that they used. So it was pure oil that they used to c- to allow that candle to continually to continually burn. So when you see oil in in, in the Word of God, it talks about enablement or uh, uh, anointing. So an anointing is an enablement because you and I are not able to do things by ourselves, especially when it pertains to spiritual things. Um, uh, the Bible says, not by might, nor by power, uh, but by my spirit, says the, L- the Lord of hosts. So that anointing then comes from the Holy Spirit who then enables you to be able to walk the path that you are needing to walk. And so that oil, that's why you see we put oil on people sometimes is because we it symbolizes uh, uh, um, uh, anointing. And... The thing is, for me, it's, it's, it's easy. I did not know that not everybody was like me. I thought everybody was like me, that you understand things in, in images, that if you see an image, you have comprehension of it. I was shocked to find that some people under understand things in concepts, that they have no image at all. I still cannot comprehend that because I need an image for what that looks like, <laughs> and I don't have one. But God is a God of ways and patterns, and he's a God of imagery. Um, again, the previous class that we taught on greater works, I was, t- I was, telling, some, I was telling the class that um, most people from Zimbabwe in the culture that I grew up in understand imagery uh, more than the here. So for instance, if you need healing, for example, I can just say, hey, give me your hand, let me pray for you, right? Or I can just pray for you, it's the same prayer, to the same god okay and the same faith is needed and then healing happens right if you do that in my country there is no ease of receiving that because it's too simple it's too simple because we grew up in a culture that is very ritualistic Mm -hmm. okay where we dance for rain we cook beer for stuff and get drunk to speak to the ancestors and so now that they come into the faith and you tell them yeah that's good enough it doesn't feel full so the same prayer now but i go and i take out my anointing oil splash it on my hand and i put it on him and i make the sign of a cross or whatever all of a sudden faith is present for them because of imagery because it has a sense of ritual to it so and 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 i think it's important for us to understand that god Began the idea of rituals. God began the idea of, of tradition. Hence even the tabernacle. Okay? Hence even the tabernacle. Because he is doing this. And remember, the Holy Spirit has not yet come. So he's trying to get people to understand heavenly concepts with earth, earthly structures. And remember Jesus saying this to Nicodemus. If you cannot understand things on an earthly level how then can you be a teacher of Israel because now you have to teach spiritual things things that are deeper spiritually and so God then creates these places where we can see things in a ritualistic manner to give us an option to further understand what he's trying to do which is exactly why it is important at least to me as disciples to understand this tabernacle to understand what he is trying to teach us because we can use the same understanding earthly because now we have the option of the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to us in a much more substantive way than, than the people that lived at this time. Does that make sense? Because remember, what did they say when the voice of God was heard? It's like, oh my gosh, you know, the voice of God is just too awesome and too, ooh, Moses, you go here and then we'll listen to you. Okay, and you, o- you only need a prophet or you only need a letter if you don't have a relationship, right? You only need somebody to come and explain to you, okay? It's like me coming to you and saying, hey, this is what your father is trying to tell you. Right? The only reason I am having to explain to you what your own father is trying to tell you is because you don't have a relationship with your father. Does that make sense? So that's why to me I always find it fascinating when people are gung-ho on prophecy or gung-ho on the prophetic. Well, really, if you have a relationship with your father, you'd need less prophecy. Does that make sense? Because you have direct access. I, I don't need a third party to tell me what the father is saying because I have access to the father and the father can talk to me and I to him but if I'm far away from my Father, then I need a messenger to come and tell me what my Father wants me to know. So when you're saying, you know, I want the prophetic, or you want the prophetic, you want the prophetic. Well, <laughs> just go to the Father. Go to your Father who's right there who wants to commune and speak to you. Go to the Holy Spirit who's right there who wants to speak to you. So, um, yeah, I went off on a tangent there. but. <laughs> but I think it's it's important for us to understand. And again, I'm not saying don't desire prophecy. Obviously, Paul tells us to. But what I'm saying is, if we come home and put our we hang our hat on the need of the prophetic, that's where the devil has come in, and there's been a massive manipulation of the prophetic because of the fact that we are like, give me prophecy, and then the devil comes in and he twists that, and now. It's so hard sometimes to know who's the real prophet because you've got so many people and so many voices. But just remember, you have a relationship with your father. So they hand this whole imagery of the tabernacle because they're without relationship to try and get them to a point in which they can have relationship, okay? Okay, so we talked about the seven golden lampstand. So then the next thing that they, that they would then see after the lamp stand is what is known as the table of showbread. The table of showbread. And I want us to have a look at it. You know what, Matt? I should have made you my assistant. I don't know why I didn't think about that. Okay, you and Nathaniel, I can bully the both of you. Okay, so this is the seven golden lampstand, just so that you can have an image of what it would look like. Again, you've got continual burning, and it's made of pure gold. So here now is where you receive revelation. So remember, you're now clean. and You've been cleansed by the word, and now you come here, and then now revelation takes place in other words the holy spirit gives you understanding of the scriptures ask him i implore you it's it's so different and again this is one of those things that you have to practice in order to fully comprehend what i'm talking about when you're coming to a text and you're being troubled by the text don't just get frustrated or do what most of us do sometimes is and just move on to the next thing and not even stay there ask the holy spirit because you're now here You're now here to where you are in the presence of the Holy Spirit say, help me to understand. Help this to bring it to light that I might be able to see, that my eyes would open, the eyes of my understanding would open that I can see what you are trying to show me. Have a relationship. I was told to have a relationship with my Bible. So if you see my Bible, it's got marks, it's got writings, it's got everything on it. So the actual pages of themselves, again, remember I told you that I used to think, oh, this is too sacred. The actual pages of themselves, they, you're not going to die if you <laughs> write your pen on it. That's not what the text is for. But the text is there to help you. It's the words that help you. It's the words that teach you. And so move in there, write with your pen, ask questions. I'll put question marks, and then I would ponder, or muse and hold on. God, what are you saying? Because I'm right here. I'm not right here. Does that make sense? So then you're learning, and we'll talk about that when we, when we get further. You're learning the word. You're learning his ways. You're understanding what he desires of you. Because in order for you to have true fellowship with him, it takes the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit walked with Jesus through the cross. The Holy Spirit walked with Jesus through the cross. He was not alone. Remember, he descended on Christ like a dove in the early onset of his ministry because of what he was about to do and what he was about to go through that he needed The Holy Spirit, just like you and I need the Holy Spirit. In order for us to have real communion, we need the Holy Spirit because he knows who God is. He knows who you are and he knows how to connect the two. Okay, so take time. Again, don't rush. You don't have to get the whole book of Galatians in one sitting. Okay, take time. Stop. Ponder. Muse. Verse says, Don't let the book of the Lord depart from you, but you shall meditate upon it day and night. Okay? The meditation is happening at the menorah. Because now it's revealed to you at the Leva, and the meditation is happening at the golden lampstand. Okay? You don't have to get it all. And if you think you do, The amount of all that you have gotten is so minute, it is almost insignificant. So there's still more to get. So take your time. You've got the rest of eternity to know God. And even then, I don't think we'll comprehend fully who he is and what he means to us. Except him revealing himself uh, to us. Okay? So then when we come to the table. So the table was made of... Acacia wood And it was also made of gold So I'm just going to let that play So that we can get to The table So you can see the setting here So again this is the only light that is in this room And that there's the table So it's made of wood Again wood speaks of Humanity Okay see She does her homework by the way (laughs) (laughs) So wood speaks of humanity Why is wood Why why does wood represent humanity? Because it decays. Just like you and I, will go back to the earth, we'll go back to dust, like wood goes back to dust. So that's why it represents humanity. And it was also made of, let me make sure I am on point here. Um, It was also made of, everything moves. I should have hired you when I had the chance. Uh. Okay, and it was also made of gold. So it was made of two materials. It was made of gold and it was made of wood. Wood representing humanity and gold representing deity and holiness. Because again, this table of showbread had 12 loaves of bread on it. And this is a place of fellowship, where wood, humanity, and deity, or gold and pure, come together. And they come together, again, in order for me to have fellowship with the Lord. Um, I've come to that place where I've come to the golden lampstand. The word of God has been made alive to me. Revelation has happened. Now I come to the place of, of fellowship. And the 12 loaves of bread representing each tribe of of Israel. Because he wants to have fellowship with all of us. They had manna in the wilderness. And this manna was was life-giving. You had to continually eat it in order for you to, to live. The table of showbread speaks of the bread that sustains. So what does Jesus say? I am the bread of life. Okay? Whoever eats will not be hungry again. And this is what Jesus is talking about. So, so I want you to, to see. So now when you read the Gospels, especially when you read Matthew, because Matthew is speaking predominantly to a Jewish uh, audience, these words mean something to them because they have this tabernacle as a history for them to reference to so again they still have the temple y- the temple i don't know if we'll touch on the temple but the temple is still a representation of the tabernacle but everything was changed up which is a is a beautiful thing I, okay i'm going to i'm going to bust the party for next week a little bit here okay so to go into the most holy place, it was divided by a curtain. So then the temple also had that curtain. And remember what happened when Jesus was crucified? The, te- the curtain torn, right? right? Now, anybody can go in. It was not just the priest that could go in. It meant anybody could go in. That curtain still represented a replica, an understanding or a flow of the tabernacle. Okay? So dividing that most holy place. So when he says, I'm the bread of life, they understand the table of showbread. And that's why they get offended by some of the things that he's saying because they understand the depth of what he's trying to say, right? Because if somebody says, you know, I'm the bread of life and never eats, will never go hungry again. They're thinking, what? What are you you trying to say? You're trying to say that you have come into perfection, wood and gold coming together. You've come into perfection, into perfect communion with God. Who do you think you are? Is this not the son of Joseph? Did we not see him growing up amongst us? And now he wants to declare these things to us? Who does he think he is? That's what they're understanding. Sustenance that Jesus is the one who, that sustains us Jesus is the one that allows us to continually walk on this earth I am the bread of life whoever comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst so the priest would eat um, off this bread they would eat together so the priests slash Levites did not have a job they didn't work like everybody else so, they only ate out of what was given or offered to them as they serviced or worked at the tabernacle. So, the eight of this bread, again, signifying fellowship. Fellowship even amongst ourselves. Anyone who says, I have the Holy Spirit in me, again, so telling us that you've been to the seven golden lampstand, right? You've had illumination or understanding of the word of God, revealed to you, but then you isolate yourself, that person does not have the Holy Spirit. Do you understand? Because, again, a reference back in my country, people that wanted to appear like they were holy, that they were pure, that they had a relationship with God, wanted to stay in hiding, and only come out and give bombastic words and then go back into hiding. Because y'all are commoners. Mm-hmm. I am the man of God. I'm holy and pure. Y'all are dirty. You can't get past that. But the truth is, God calls us to a place of fellowship. Okay? Hebrews, <laughs> read the whole book. Do not give that do not give up the habit of coming together or meeting a summer in the habit of doing but we need to meet all the more even as we see the days approaching why you got 12 loaves each representing a tribe of israel each representing an understanding of who god is so if you see their names what they were why they were given those names when uh, Back when Jacob and, 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 um, and Leah and Rachel were having children with the, with the concubines, the names meant something. It was not just naming a name because it's cute, but it meant something. So if you go and you read it, you'd see that there's revelation there because a revelation or deepening of understanding comes through fellowship. You see, when I read the text, I see something. He reads the text, he sees something. You read, you see something. When you come together, we create a fuller picture than when I'm going at it alone. That is why I'm saying he who walks with the Spirit of God will fellowship with others and not hide in a corner or and only want to be heard because they feel like their voice is more powerful than us, And that's exactly what the 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 Sanhedrin's and the, the Pharisees and all that, so the imagery that they created was, I'm more important than you are. I am more holy than you are. And that was not the image and the picture of God at all. Okay? The only one who makes us holy is Jesus Christ. The Bible says, you and I have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So I, I'm not righteous at all. there's there's no place in which I express righteousness out of my flesh. okay so again, the flesh has to die. So if we're struggling with fellowship, it's because the flesh hasn't died. Do you understand? the flesh hasn't died. I've not gone through this process where my flesh has died. I've not gone through the process where I've seen myself through the word that I am unworthy. And I, I don't know about you, but the times when it hits you and you recognize how sinful you are, how unrighteous you are, how unholy you are, how, how terrible of, of the things that we think, the things that we do, the things that come over us in the presence of this magnificent love. In the presence of, of this magnificent sacrifice that Christ Jesus made for us, and how unworthy we are of receiving this redemption. And then when that is illuminated, and then that same word then washes over you and tells you, "No, in Christ, you are now a saint. you are now the righteousness of God. You have been made pure and holy, not by works. But by what Jesus Christ did. So that none of us can boast. You see? That's what I'm saying. He walks with the Holy Spirit. Doesn't have a boastful attitude. They don't have a boastful attitude to say, hey, I'm, I'm better. And when I walk on this carpet or I walk in this building, people just start getting healed everywhere. Because again, you're trying to mimic what the Holy Spirit was doing with the apostles. Right? And, and the argument is, if you read the book of Acts, we all call it the Acts of the Apostles. But more aptly, should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because he was just using the Apostles to do the work that he was doing. So if I have that sense in my mind that I am more holy than you, or I understand the Scriptures better than you, then far be it from me to be able to load it over you of the things that God has blessed me with. Are we together? Okay, so um, I, w- I wanna do this, this this little exercise with you um, that uh, helped me to have a better grasp and understanding of things. And it helped me to, number one, see what I do, but number two, have a little bit of grace on myself um, for for the things that I know and understand. So I'm gonna do this little exercise. We'll hope it works. If it doesn't work well, I'll just explain it. <laughs> okay. Okay, close your eyes. Close your eyes. So imagine that you're in a warehouse. Okay, you're entering into this warehouse. And as you enter into this warehouse, you see boxes that are stacked. Some are stacked as high as eight, some 12, some three. It's like boxes everywhere. But you keep going further into this warehouse keep going further in. And you can see that the boxes are becoming less and less. There's less stacks of boxes. But you keep moving. So keep going to this warehouse. And now all of a sudden, there's this vast, empty space that's there. Nothing, not a single box at all. It's just space and space and space. Now open your eyes. So those boxes represent the information and the knowledge that you have. The further you go deeper into your mind, you realize you know a lot less. You know, you know a lot less than what you think. You have more empty space than you have space that is filled. So what happens is anytime time we meet each other, I take my box of 12 and I bring it and I show everybody. And it looks like I know a whole bunch but I've got empty space right behind me. You come with your box, you come with your box. Everybody comes with their boxes. And we try to represent the things that we know. We always try and talk about the things that we know. And the things that we don't know, we never act like we do not know those things. And here's the truth. The way God has revealed himself to me is not always gonna be the same that He reveals himself to you. And so I need you to have an understanding of God that I don't have. I need to fellowship with you that I might have that understanding. Then I take your boxes and I begin to fill my empty spaces. The table will show bread representing fellowship with the Father. Okay? We desire to fellowship with Him. We want to fellowship with Him. And those who fellowship with Him fellowship with each other. So an interesting note here is that um, is that we understand this deeper When it comes to the names of God. Without fellowship, we would not have a complete, or we would not have a fuller picture of who God is and what He has done, right? Because when you look at the names of God, and I'm not going to go through them, your Bible's called us, right? So research them, but I'll give you some so that you just know what I'm talking about. Who said, He is Jehovah Jireh. Who said that? Okay. Did you hear that? Did God say, I am Jehovah Jireh? Okay. Abraham said he is Jehovah Jireh. God revealed himself to Abraham as Jehovah Jireh. And now you know that he is Jehovah Jireh. Not because he said that, but because he revealed himself to Abraham that he is. See that so when we say Jehovah Jireh it's not that he called himself that you understand somebody else did because of what he did Now I would not know that he's Jehovah Jireh because he did not reveal himself as Jehovah Jireh to me until he does so to somebody else okay Jehovah Nisi who said he's Jehovah Nisi come on Bible scholars Work with me. Remember the story? Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Moses is lifting up his hands. And the moment he lifts up his hands, the children of Israel are winning the battle. But the moment his hands come down, they begin to lose. Then Aaron and Hur go on either side of him and help keep his hands lifted up. And then they said he has become the Lord, our banner. He's been Jehovah Nisi. So which means as we lift up in praise and worship, that's how we win our battles. Okay, remember Jehoshaphat and the army? He sent the praise and worship team first before the army went. And as they were praising the Lord, they didn't even have to lift a finger and fight. Because when we praise and we worship, we have victory. But God didn't say, I am Jehovah Nisi. He revealed himself to Moses as that. Jehovah Rapha, he's our healer. It's not like he said, hey, I am the healer even though he has said that he heals, but he revealed himself as a healer, okay? So that's what I want you to understand, is that the names that have been attributed to God, not all of them have come from God himself. What he said is, I am who I am, which is like a blank check. What you need me to be, or I will be what you need me to be. That's what I am who I am means. I'm not sick, so I don't know Jehovah Rapha. Do you understand? Because I'm not sick, but He is. Then He goes, "Ha, I was sick, sick, and He healed me." And then He comes and He tells me, "He's Jehovah, uh, Jehovah Rapha." Do you understand? He's Jehovah Rapha. What do you? He's Jehovah Rapha. I'm like, oh, okay. Then I become sick, and when do I remember? He told me that He is Jehovah Rapha because He did that to Him. He's no respecter of persons. Then I can understand and call on him as Jehovah Rapha. Table of showbread. That happens at fellowship. That's why you do not hold back your testimony. Right? In Revelation, read the whole book. It says they overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved their lives not unto death. So that's what you gotta understand. Our testimonies overcome the enemy. Because then I get to see God. Oh, you said He's Jehovah Rapha? I think I have everything that I need. I don't think, oh, I'm in trouble, I'm struggling. But you once told me that, and then I pray. There's more that he wants to reveal himself to us as. There's more. And he's gonna reveal to each and every one of us at our points of need. Do you understand? Then all of a sudden, you encourage me. I encourage you by my understanding and revelation. Then when you meet the same fate as I have, you're encouraged. And that's the importance of the testimony. The Jehovah Sharma, ever-present God. Jehovah Kenu, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Shalom, our peace. These are not names that God called himself. These are names that we have called him because of how he has revealed himself to us so the bread was changed on a weekly basis and it represents now I didn't have time to to go back and and research this at one point I knew it well enough so I'm gonna put it out as a challenge because I love challenging students because this is how I was taught um, there's that when you read the Psalms, there's a place in which there were certain songs that were sung on the seventh day. So, which meant that there was a time when there was a congregation or a gathering on the seventh day. So, this is why we come together as Christians once a week to gather together for fellowship as a bigger group. Because they did that back in the day. And the changing of the bread. Was a changing of revelation. So when we hear the word together, because that was, was that well, that's what would happen, so they'd be gathered together, and then they would hear the voice of Moses. Moses would address the crowd. In the same manner, we come together and we hear the word of God, because we constantly have to be in front in front of the word of God, even corporately. We need to all hear the word of God together. Okay, so that's. Also what that represented in the changing of, of the, the bread. And then the last piece, which is, I don't know, you're not supposed to have favorites, but I love this one, is the table of in- incense. See, I didn't call it my favorite. I said I love it. <laughs> it's the, <laughs> the table of incense. Okay. You, are you, are you, uh, ho- I hope you're seeing the sequence that's happening here. I've gone through the way. I've entered his gates with thanksgiving and praise, okay? Because I'm expectant of what God is about to do. I'm about to hear the voice of God. I'm about to commune with God. But okay, I'm entering in, but I cannot go past because of my flesh, right? So I get there, flesh at the altar dies. Then I get to the laver. I see myself, and I go, oh my goodness, I'm so undeserving of this. But then I'm washed over that I'm his. I am my beloved. He is mine. And I see that I'm loved. And I see that he cares for me. I go to the lampstand. It's illuminated. I'm beginning to see and understand the word better as I'm having fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I come to the showbread. I'm able to fellowship with other believers. I'm able to fellowship and have communion with God. Brass and gold coming together. And I now come to the table of incense in which prayers are offered. That's what the incense is. The incense was to continually rise. So when you saw that picture of the smoke that's coming from the table of incense, because there's continual smoke rising up as a sweet aroma to God, which are the prayers, which signifies the prayers of the saints. Okay? Psalm 141, verse 2. Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice here is what's cool about the ta- about the the table of incense it's exactly the same as the altar but a tiny representation of it but it's made of pure gold it's made of pure gold there's no more brass there's no more wood There's purity this cleanness, this, this deity. Praying always in the spirit. How am I praying always in the spirit? I was at the lampstand. I was at the lampstand. I fellowship with other believers. I know who God is. I come. I can call on him. You, you realize we don't call on God on things because we don't think or believe that he's able to do some of these things. Because we have not had the revelation of fellowship to understand the breakthroughs that have happened. Oh, we've withheld our testimonies. that not all of us can see that he's able to do this. Can I really believe God for a car and he come through for me for a car? That seems a little bit too off. Because again, I was taught it's not about possession. So you know what? I'm going to struggle and walk. Well, you've not met with somebody who's told you, listen, I called on his name and he provided for me. And then now you can then come to that incense and you come with boldness and confidence because you've been at the lampstand and because you've heard the testimony of his goodness and now you offer the prayer, which is a sweet incense. See, when you're here, remember, when you're in flesh, what do you say? Oh, help me, God. I'm just so terrible. I don't know why I think the way I think. I'm just horrible. It never works for me. It works for everybody else. That's that's how I'm talking to God. But when I come to the table of incense, it's now you're the Holy One who is able to provide. Now let me walk in your provision. I'm not begging you anymore. I'm now in faith being a call on him and that's why it's a sweet aroma over here when i am at the brazen altar it ain't sweet but when i get there and i'm about to get into the holy of holies my prayers now so you're asking me how do i know it's changed you can hear your own voice in the things that you're asking and the things that you're saying You look at the prophets. You, you look at all the different characters in the Old Testament and how they prayed. They didn't pray like, this is not going to happen. I really had to beg him 15 times for him to make it happen. They had a confidence about them. And they would say, you are the Lord who is this. Now reveal yourself. To how will the other nations speak of us if you, O oh Lord, do not come through for us? That's why Habakkuk was like, I will go in and inquire of the Lord because this doesn't make sense that Israel has to go through this. It doesn't make sense. He comes to that place and he speaks with confidence. I will inquire of him. You don't inquire at the brazen altar. You inquire at the table of incense. That's where your prayers need to get to. I, I, I encourage you, exhort you You know, find some time. Block an hour and say, I'm going to, this hour. Start off in your, you're going to feel bored. You're going to feel tired. You're going to feel like, man, I'm going to go watch a TV show. You're going to hear the babies cry. Everything is going to be against you. But I encourage you to push through. That means keep praying. If you have to say Jesus, 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 and that's all you say. Mm -hmm. Praise the Lord. Keep going. Keep going. It will break. And then all of a sudden you find yourself speaking in confidence, speaking with authority. You have arrived at the table of incense. We do not know how we ought to pray. But the Spirit of God intercedes for us. With moanings and groanings that cannot be uttered. Hebrews 7.25 Therefore he leaves to continually intercede On behalf of the saints. This is Jesus the high priest. Because he's not a high priest who comes and offers a sacrifice once and then has to come out. But he continually intercedes for us. That's Hebrews 7 and 25. The altar of gold is a picture of intercessory prayer. You see a change. You're no longer saying, Feel my vats, pay my rent. Help my wife understand me. You. <laughs> You're no longer praying such prayers. You then now have to, you now begin to pray and you say, "Breakthrough for Oklahoma City. I see the sin in my city. Breakthrough for us. May we have love for our city." You change. You intercede. You now pray for other people. You are the God who is able. Most of us, if we're honest. We intercede at the brazen altar. We don't intercede at the table of incense. So, talk to Aaron. I'll pray for you. Father, pray for Aaron. Bless her. Let everything work out. In Jesus' name. Amen. Done. Brazen altar prayer. Which God, who is faithful, just and full of mercy, will honor. But if you want to pray for somebody, and you go past that altar. You're on your knees, God, for Aaron, whatever else are you are able. Weep, cry, because it's this in that moment God is giving you the burden that He has for You weep and you cry. God, breakthrough for her, breakthrough. And you get up when you have a sense of joy. <laughs> Something has happened. Something's broken. It's a difference now. It's a difference. And you don't always have to publicize it. You don't always have to come back and say, hey, I prayed for you yesterday. You know what I'm saying? It was great, and this is what happened. So now it's about me. Unless the Lord says, go tell, right? Then I can go tell. This is a secret, sacred place between you and him. And that's that's, that's very key. Right. What does he say about the Sanhedrins and the Pharisees? He says, you pray out loud with many words. Why do you do that? So that people can? So I don't always have to publicize it. I prayed for you yesterday. Listen, listen, that. I'm saying that's not bad. Do you understand? I'm saying if the Lord says, go tell. Oh, you've you, you got to go tell. But watch that you're not telling so that he then thinks, again... I'm the cat's meow. Or I'm the dog's bow-wow, you know? You don't, you don't want to do that. We got we to be careful with these things. Because then it becomes about us and our experience versus about the person or versus about God. At the brazen altar, he's dealing with a sinner. At the table of incense, he's dealing with the saint. Okay? There's a difference there. The altar of God speaks of heaven, the altar of brass speaks of earth. Again, they're exactly the same, just a smaller version. The altar of God has gold, has to do with holiness, the altar of brass has to deal with sin. Twice a day, morning and night, the priests would take fresh burning coals from the brazen altar and take them to the inner court to the golden altar. They'll place incense on the coals, which caused smoke and aroma to fill the inner court, eventually rise up from the inner court and outside the tabernacle. Jewish tradition says that the trajectory of the smoke would rise straight up to the sky, no matter the direction of the wind or how hard it might blow. This shows us that no matter how strong. The derogatory winds of life may come against us. Our communication with God cannot be hindered as long as we approach him in faith. Powerful. So I says, Good, remember. What did I say about those poles? Those five poles. Okay, what does the book say in Ephesians about them? That we might be equipped unto good works and no longer what? Tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. So the confidence that we're given in doctrine comes from the fivefold ministry. All of them pure. All those poles were made of gold so that I'm not tossed to and fro. So that the wind doesn't blow as though my prayers are blown in different directions. Come in confidence. I come and approach. It says, boldly approach the throne. Right? Boldly approach the throne. And we'll get to the other side of the curtain here. But boldly approach the throne. That's what the fivefold ministry. So when I pray, at this point here, I, I'm not namby-pamby. I'm, 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 I'm steadfast. My feet are on the ground with confidence about what will. And what is? I know the word because I've eaten a showbread and I've had the revelation. I've been through the labor. So I'm praying even the will of God, the scriptures. So I pray when I'm at the table of, of, of incense. And what does the Bible say? Can that smoke continually grow? Men ought to pray and never cease. Men ought always Imagine that aroma, cutting that aroma off. You're saying, no more sweet incense unto the Lord. But men ought always to pray, and that smoke needed to continually be rising and going up to the Lord. Because we cannot survive without constant communication with the Lord. The priests were always commanded not to offer strange fire. Or communication needs to be kept positive and pure. Many people's words like strange facts which is complaining. So when you complain, you strive, you doubt, again, remember you're here. If you're finding yourself complaining, doubting, bored, you're still here. You gotta press through, and then your prayers become pure. Proverbs eighteen twenty one Life and death is in the power of the tongue, and they that love of his fruit shall eat of it. And men will have to give account of every idle word that they speak. Is here where idle words need not to be there. Why? Because you're praying in the spirit because you come through that whole uh process. So 2 Corinthians 2.15, and I'll end and close. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to the God. But this fragrance is Perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? You see, we're not like the many hucksters, wow, this version, who preach for personal profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. If our word smells right, they need to be filled with God's word. When we communicate with God by returning his word to him, it will produce the fruit that we desire and the fruit that he promises. His word shall not return to him void. Isaiah 55 and verse 11. A sweet aroma, but also a scent of death. That's why it's this world is becoming more and more evil, that you and I are the terrorists now. We're the bad people because of the things that we hold to and the things that we believe. We are terrible. We are bad. We are evil. We don't have love because we won't accept the kind of offering that the world is bringing. So that's why we are a smell of death and doom because we stand as judgment to the world. You see But to anyone who seeks life, what do we become? A sanctuary, a haven in which they might come in. Amen? I'm going to encourage you to keep going on this. Next week is phenomenal because that's the whole major goal and to understand where the dwelling place is. Beauty of the fact that you and I don't have to go, hey, Bobby, we gotta buy some tickets to Israel so we can go to that temple, so we can go into that little holy place, and there's actually a there's actually three million of us, or whatever million billion of us that want to go into the dining room. And God in his wisdom understands this. Which is why when you stack Christianity against Islam, the moment you have a place like Mecca, you blow it. You and I don't have to go to Mecca, right? I don't have to go to Mecca. Right here, in this room, we stand on it. This can become holy ground. Your bedroom can become holy, your living room, your backyard becomes holy ground. Right there, you are in Mecca, your own Mecca. I don't know what Mecca means. If it's bad, then <laughs> I don't mean a, I don't mean anything bad, but you know what I mean, right? It's a beautiful thing and we'll talk about that next week. Is there anyone with questions, comments, thoughts? Yes. Let me make sure I understand. Are you saying, can you operate in the fivefold ministry if you have, uh, you dealing with sin in your life? Um, here's, here's, here's my response to that. Christ Jesus came to take away sin. When I operate in the prophet, whichever office I hold, I personally hold to the fact that I'm called to be a teacher. Not so much as a pastor, even though I operated it sometimes, but mostly as a teacher. Guys, I'm on three hours of sleep, Mm -hmm. okay? Traveling crazy through mountains and stuff and coming here, and I was tired. I'm still tired. Thank God for coffee, but I'm still tired. But at some point, I felt the anointing because of the office, because it is not... Me, it is not my gift. It is not your gift. So the operation of the office is not determined by you. For if it were, you're always disqualified. Okay? You're always disqualified. But it is dependent on Him. Okay? I didn't necessarily create this opportunity. God did. Do you understand? So the stage from which you minister from, God creates that. Not you. So when people then clumber for the stage, or people say, give me a chance on my tea, give me a chance on my my this, give me a chance. Well, if you're in the office, God opens the doors for you to express those gifts that you have on the inside of you. Does that make sense? So which means two things. So if the gift or the operation of the office is not dependent on you, and the stage in which those gifts are expressed is not dependent on you, then if God is opening those opportunities then you go for it. But as much as you are, again, we're nothing on a stick, right? I'm nothing special. It's just that I have the stage today to minister and use my gift. Tomorrow it's him. Sometimes it's that guy. It's this guy. It's that woman. It's you know, It changes. So there's nothing special about me. Again, this is fellowship also. So there will come a time when your time comes and you've got to minister. But I've got to take care of sin as much as you've got to take care of sin. I cannot stand here and tell you guys I'm absolutely squeaky clean. The moment I say that, I need to repent, because what does the Bible say? If we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and make him out to be a lie. First John, read the whole book. First John. So which means I continually come to a place where my confidence of life is in the forgiveness of sin through Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay. So the stage will be opened and the function of the office will come from your father, walk right in. Because then if you stay, oh me or oh my, I'm sinful, I'm terrible, I'm bad, you're the brazen altar, and you're not moving, and many of us just stay there. Okay, I hope that helps. Okay, any other questions? Yeah. Cuz it represents work. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. you sinners. You already answered the question. Sinner. Yeah, Sinner. yeah, you already answered the question right there. So referring to referring to sinners, Correct. Not just, not the yes. Yes, you've answered your own question. (laughs) (laughs) You have answered your own question, exactly. Okay, so this is talking about work, okay? Now, I'm working right now, okay? We work, but again, we don't work towards righteousness or towards grace, because whatever work we do is always going to fall short. Mm -hmm. But the work that we do is from the Father. Now he works through us. Does that make sense? So it's a different work. So you might be doing something like, you know, building houses or whatever for people. I might do the same thing. The difference is I am doing it because the Lord has called me to do it. And what results out of that is a righteousness of his people, a telling of love of his people. It's not humanitarian work. So when you go on missions like when we went on mission, we're seeing patience. But we're praying for them. We're speaking salvation and truth in life. These are doctors who can heal a wound. But they understand this wound is not really your problem in life. This one is. So yes, I can be nice and heal your wound, but I'm actually not being nice if I never help heal your heart. You get what I'm saying? I can't be cool and that I give you a house and you're going to be excited. But what good is a house to you if your soul is never ministered to? So... Being nice or being humanitarian is really not the answer. So when we go, we're doing humanitarian things to draw people to coming because Jesus did that with miracles, right? He says, this miracles are to show you that I am sent from the Father so that you might what? You might believe. But then what do we do? We camp around the miracle. Give me more of this. But Jesus is saying, no, what I want is your heart, right? So we build all these things and do all these things because we want the heart of people to be blessed by the Lord. That's what we want. So all these are entryways. So the difference between humanitarian work and work that the Father gives us, so the work that the Father gives us always gets to the heart of people to see the love of God. Amen? That's the difference. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's my observation too. I'll, I'll I'll give you. And I'll yeah, and I'll give you one more one more thing, one more thing for you to watch out for. If I say Nathaniel, you were having a bad day with your dad yesterday, and your dad. Said some words to you, and you go, How do I know? What this would happen? And I go, This, your dad, then ran off and did that. And I'm telling you what really happened. Is that prophecy? No, No. it's a word of knowledge. Mm -hmm. So when people say they're prophetic and they go, You, this happened, and this I'm gonna do this, that's not prophecy, and then they say I'm a prophet. I'm like, no, you just, if if really it is Jesus, it is the gift of knowledge. If I say, hey, tomorrow you need to make sure you secure your house and you do this and you do that. For I don't know something is coming, but make sure that's a word of wisdom. That is not prophecy. Okay. So when you see people saying they're prophetic and then just starting to call out things, either they're misguided in truth or they're false. You know, it's one or the other, because that's not prophecy. Prophecy is exhortation. Prophecy is encouraging. Prophecy never puts down. Okay? And again, you only need that if you're really not having the constant relationship. You need less of it. You need less prophecy when you're in constant. uh, Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. right? (laughs) More coffee. <laughs> 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 okay. Any other thoughts, questions? I've taken six minutes of your time. I hope that's okay. Where are we all at Mexico? Huh? Where in Guachinera? Mm-hmm. We're in Guachinera. We went to three different cities. We went to uh, San Miguelito, Bavíspe, and Guachinera. So we went to three different cities, and we were followed. We started in one city. People from that city also came to this city, and they were in. So at the end, with the b- I don't know if you've seen the, the videos, but at the end, with massive amounts of people, which they said has never happened. So, yeah. So God is doing something. Okay. They're gonna go cross in cars. So some people are gonna take one bag in, and then another <laughs> bag in. So still, that's what they felt. Yeah. The the, oh. the, the Federali. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah. But praise be to God. Again, think about it. Yeah. We're really not there for the medical, for no. the body. No. So even if you don't have medical supplies, we push through. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. All right. Y'all have a wonderful day. And if you haven't gone to service, enjoy service. And if you have, have a good day.